0: Hey, peers, It's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Peers Project has just produced a podcast for Briony Kennedy, the CEO of award-winning Australian cosmetics brand, Adorn Cosmetics. If you've ever needed a compass to navigating the different areas of your life, then this podcast, Beauty, Business and Babies, is for you. In this fortnightly series, Briony shares the tears and triumphs that come with navigating the tensions between the pivotal areas in a woman's life and assures women everywhere that they're not alone in feeling like a mess. So make sure to tune in now to Beauty, Business and Babies by Adorn Cosmetics on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, Powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitinol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, Of the Peers to Peers podcast. Whether you're running your own business, studying at university, or just trying to get through your nine to five, all of us have felt overwhelmed at one point or another. No one knows this more than our latest guest, Katie Proud. I'm super excited to welcome Katie onto the show today. As the founder, director, and CEO of Hypometer Technologies, Katie is all too familiar. Wearing multiple hats. But thankfully, she's here to enlighten us all on how we can get better at juggling multiple roles. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at the Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these amazing millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado. Here is my conversation with the amazing Katie Proud, Katie. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you.
1: Thanks, Michelle. I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome. So, you know, you and I recently connected. And when I looked into you and all the amazing work you're doing in the sports analytics space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, cool. I'm really happy that you sought me out. I don't kind of do a lot of stuff out of the office. I'm head down all the time. So it's kind of nice to break my day off and talk about something that I'm really into and talk about all day, but kind of share it with like a wider audience of people. I'm really excited about it. Great. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do,
0: tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So I am the founder, director, and current CEO of Hypometer Technologies, which is all about data-driven sports content. We um, pride ourselves on having the best data looking stuff in the world for some of the sports that we do and across more sports than anyone else as well. Um, We have two products called Stats Insider and Fantasy Insider, um, very much in the um, content-driven, customer-facing sports world. And we also have kind of a B2B side of the business as well. Amazing. It's
0: so cool. I was looking into you, obviously, before this, and I was just like, this is so great that it's so different. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm so interested to dive in deeper with you. But before we do... I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your
1: career so far? Um, I grew up in Noosa, which everyone would have their own picture of Noosa in their mind and it's hoity-toity and it's rich and it's kind of somewhere you go on holidays, especially for Melbourne people. Um, But for me, Noosa is the home of homes My dad was in triathlon and started the Noosa Triathlon in Noosa, which has kind of been like the reason for a lot of tourism there and it's grown and now it's the biggest place. It's just so busy at Christmas time and it's packed and um, I suppose the way that that has contributed to me is that I just understand what it is like to be in a small place, um, growing up with basically nothing, very much not a city, Um, but then... The way that it's influenced me now, I don't know, like I I, I love that place and if I can think of somewhere that is my happy place and I visit there 10 times a year, then that's kind of like my getaway and my escape and that's um, really special and that's where my family is and that's what's really important to me.
0: I love that and when I did see that, you know, Noosa, I was like, oh, that's such a cool place to grow up in, but it is so different for Melbournians or, you know, people coming there to visit just for a week or a weekend, you know, than growing up there. You know, what was those early days like? What were some of the things
1: you loved to do as a child, like when you were there? Um, Swim. Swim. We did the the World Up the Beach Championships every weekend with my dad, and we kind of Um, basically learned to catch waves. I did a lot of surfing. We did a lot of walking through the national park and running through the national park. I think everyone in my family hoped that I would be a guy and that I would be the sporty triathlete that kind of emerged from our family. So uh, I was in that for a while. (laughs) 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 Not a triathlete, though, I should really (laughs) clarify at all. Um, So that's the kind of thing that we did. And then kind of growing up a little bit more we, I went to school in Bodrum, which is a little bit further down, um, about 45 minutes from Noosa, where there was a bigger network of people and made friends for life there.
0: Amazing. That's so amazing. I think you studied media and comms, media communication, business advertising. Was that? Yeah. What made you choose that? Like what you came from such kind of a sporty family and you know, always kind of in nature and whatnot. What made you choose kind of business?
1: Um, I absolutely thought from very early on that I was going to own an advertising agency. Wow. That was my dream from when I was probably 14, maybe. And I loved ads and I would watch them on and I used to like watch the Super Bowl just for the ads and vote on those Doritos competitions yes. <laughs> <laughs> Doritos ad competitions and I thought that that was everything um, and I actually did so you're, act- you're when you uh, when you go to university, when you start applying for university, you probably know there's um, a lot of time in between when you actually apply for what you want and when you actually go to university and you don't know what on earth you want to do realistically. Some people are so lucky and they just do and they know, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer and that's really great for them. Um, I didn't know. I kind of just looked through and went, oh, well, advertising. I didn't know that you could do that. I'm interested in advertising. So I went straight for that and did a lot of work experience in that space. And um, and enjoyed my course a lot, but I actually really enjoyed the media and communications side of that at QUT, which was an amazing course, um, and I would highly recommend it to anyone because they are always coming up with new ways to um, structure the curriculum, and that's actually where I met my business partner Daryl was doing that course.
0: There you go! Oh yeah. my goodness, it's it's so interesting to hear kind of how it all ends up playing out and that, you know, some of those relationships that we we don't even think much of at the time, you know, we're like, oh, they're just mates, they're just friends that we hang out with at uni or whatever it is, can end up being such pivotal kind of, yeah, relationships in our lives. How would you say you view building relationships and, you know, kind of making those connections in the early years?
1: It was all about being honest, first of all, and talking to people honestly. Um, If you're talking about kind of a support network of people, then it's very clear from the first conversation that you have with someone, whether they are picking up what you're putting down or if they are kind of confused as all hell about what you're talking about. And they might be a helpful person and kind of guide you in the right direction. But the people who generally stay around for a longer time and the people that are in my advisory circle now and the people that help on a daily basis with the business are the ones who kind of got it straight off the bat, um, love the value, can see the value to other clients, can see the value of it in the world and recognise the quality of the product. So to your question, the way that I formed that relationship was just to be honest with people about what we're doing and to be myself and um, and kind of just more make sure that we're the right fit for each other than trying to force anything
0: I think that's such a key thing and I think it it plays out in so many respects when we're at uni trying to make those initial connections to when we've just started out in the working world whether it is business or working for a company and I think it's just something that I mean I used to get freaked out about I used to think how am I gonna do this and like not sound unnatural and whatnot Um, although I really liked people I always struggled a little bit with that um I guess for me, I guess the next question, it really comes, it comes to when did you, when you were in that advertising degree and you kind of thought, okay, cool, this is, maybe I will own that agency. How did you navigate that afterwards? And how did that actually eventuate to what, what you're doing now?
1: Um, I discovered that advertising wasn't all kind of everyone sitting in a boardroom coming up <laughs> with great ideas all day, every day. That was kind of what I was like, what do people, what do they sit in there and go like, let's turn the, (laughs) you know, the rice puff into a man and like make it jump off something. That was where I thought that I was going to be. But I, there was a lot of not just groundwork, but kind of um, the account management side of things, which I was cool to do, um, but it maybe wasn't as exciting as I was hoping in those early years. And then while I was still planning on pursuing that, I was partnered with Daryl um, he was my tutor at university, so we were partnered for a research project. I um, remember kind of looking at the projects and I said, oh, this one looks interesting to me. It's studying big data in um, Big Brother US. And I was like, mm-hmm. I love Big Brother. <laughs> Perfect, Perfect for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tick. Um, and I was a couple weeks in, we'd met, and I was going, this subject is just not what I expected it to be. I'm going to, like, drop it and pick something else up. And then I met Daryl, and I honestly don't remember the first conversation, other than he was ultra, ultra smart, and um, and knew a lot of things that uh, that I didn't know. But also, I could see the work that he was doing clearly in the commercial space, clearly in TV media. But the paper that we were working on together and researching together was going to be read by six people at most, you know, like and that was what was hard about research. From then on, we actually, um, Darrell raised a little bit of money out of the university to hire me at that point. So we basically found a kindred spirit in each other that what he was doing was so cool. And I was really interested in learning about big data and the applications of big data. But then um, I just had like a completely left of wing swing and he was confused as all. I didn't know that this had this application and kind of saw in me the opportunity to make it bigger and make something out of that. So I love advertising still. I still work in it every day at work. Um, and I hope that we grow the business one uh, and to large enough to have an ad agency, even internally so that we can do really legendary ads all the time. (laughs) Um, and I'm still super interested in that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But this is the path that that I was led on and that was about six or seven years ago now. So, um, yeah, so maybe we'll we'll get back into it again. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Well, there you go. No, I love it and I find it so fascinating kind of just to hear
0: about what that early passion was and then I guess how that translates into what you're doing now and looking into the future kind of where that will take you. I guess my question for you is, you know, you had this opportunity to work with someone uh, incredible who had the ability to hire you. You know, in those kind of circumstances, some of us, you know, our peers out there listening might be thinking, how did she have the courage to do that, to actually go, yes, I'll be the one person that's going to be that employee and I'm going to do that and I'm going to work with this, I think he's a doctor, he's got a doctor in front of his name, you know, like a, a really high level person to create this, to write this paper and then ultimately create this business. Where does that courage come from and is it something that can be developed?
1: Well. First of all, he was not a doctor at the time. Ah, oh, I there definitely you go. made that happen. No. <laughs> so me. <mean. laughs> Sorry, Daryl, if you're listening. No, he was doing his PhD at the oh. time that we met, and he wasn't, um, he was definitely a tutor there because that's one of the things that kind of comes with studying at that time. But there was not any courage at that point. I would have to say there wasn't any courage because. We were enjoying working together. Um, There wasn't a hierarchical feeling in any way. It was a lot like, oh, now let's work on this. Okay, now let's work on this. And we have always been very much, this is a cool idea. Let's build it. This is a cool idea. Let's build it. And we've always done that together and I think seen equal value in each other. Despite my age at the time, I would have been um, 21 or 22, I suppose, when we met. So despite my age, he was never looking down on me with that. And he's young as well. Um, and, and so at that point we didn't have courage. Courage came after that. I think when all of a sudden you're telling other people about what you're doing and especially in the research sector, which we were at the time, um, trying to convince people that an undergrad knows what they're talking about. And I was the first published undergrad at QUT at the time. And, um, I had a, an article that we published on the conversation at that point we'd published it. It got you know, a lot of positive comments and peer reviews and um, they actually pulled it down and they found out that I was undergrad and we had our supervisor at the university write to them who was one of their kind of really top writers at the time and ask that I be reinstated as an author on that article. and, um, And so there's been like little bursts of things along the way where you're not wanting to toot your own horn but you do think I have shown some courage here Maybe I should have recognition for that, and sometimes that's really hard in a, a little bit of an ageist world where people are just expect that age does not equal that. However, I've had a lot of amazing people along the way, and a lot of um, positive, like a lot of positivity, very little judgment yeah. to my face. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, but the overall, the experience has been really positive, and probably given me the power to be courageous.
0: You just hit that so well when you said, you know, that living in kind of an ageist world. And I think so many of us, I mean, our peers out there listening, all in our 20s trying to figure this out and trying to figure out what's next for us and how we can create awesomeness in our own lives and in kind of the lives of others. And I think that idea of, oh, you're too young or you don't understand enough can come up for us. So I guess what advice, like what did you do to navigate that time when your name got taken off the paper just because you were an undergrad, like you were still studying, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, there, there then comes self-doubt. Mm. Oh, oh, my goodness, I was just up on a high horse and then I was shot down. I'm not sure, like one really important part for me has always just been to work hard and to not try to talk about something that I don't know about. And you ask, you know, what advice do you have? One actual bone I have to pick with the world is people telling other people their advice at this stage in their lives with one experience under their belt and telling people this is the only way to get through that, or this is the only way to do that. I don't believe that that's true. And I've been to a lot of conferences and heard a lot of talks where someone's giving me advice, take it on board so heavily. So, um, and that is the only way. And that's how I'm going to have to do things and compare yourself all of a sudden. And I don't think that people should compare themselves or their experiences to someone else at all, especially at this age when they might have just fluked it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my advice is go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you might just fluke it. So, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I, I can appreciate that. I think you know. It, it, it almost goes both ways. It's having those those people we look up to or we appreciate and and kind of going, okay, well, we could emulate what they've done in some way, but then also realising that we're each our own person. We're going to have different experiences. It's never always going to be exactly the same. Talk to us a bit about how that transition happened. So, you know, you were just writing the research papers with him. He was just doing it as, I guess, a passion thing on the side. Where did the, when did the point come where you both thought, or maybe he thought, I want to turn this into a business?
1: So the communication, the um, commercialization um, of the university at that point and um, was looking for opportunities and I don't recall being overly involved in the process. Daryl was kind of just a doer on the side. So I think he sent an application to them, maybe ran it past me at the time um, and next minute, I think we got 20 grand to fund, you know, the next six months or th- that would not be enough. No. Money. <laughs> <laughs> one month. <No>. Yes. <laughs> no, th- that wasn't right. But um, I might just, and, and that's, when our, that's when our third director joined us at that point, he was kind of part of the commercialization arm of the university. And so that's one support person that I mentioned before I've had. Um, since the beginning who just got it from the beginning Um, and I guess fast forward a little bit we kind of we went to America to pitch a social media data idea to Twitter and to um, a bunch of different investors in America we thought that there would be a better opportunity a bigger opportunity to pitch a product that we'd built um, over there we had a couple of really good conversations but I think that Daryl and I at that point were finding that there was so much social media technology coming out, lots of sentiment analysis, Facebook cut off the ability for us to pull any data. So we were all of a sudden looking at just a smaller platform that would analyze Twitter sentiment and uh, location analysis and that kind of thing. Um, We had to take a really good, long, hard look at ourselves and say, if we're going to be doing this for a long time and we're going to raise actual capital and pull ourselves out of the university, which we wanted to do at that point, um, we were enjoying research but we were working well together and I'd finished uni and we wanted to kind of take that next step. We decided to do sport. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. <laughs> it just like, it doesn't fit into the narrative up until this point at all. But um spore some background on it. Daryl had put himself through um, university in the early years um, by being a gambler. So um, he'd been building models and had a long standing interest in building sports models for gambling and for fantasy sports. Um, at the time, the daily fantasy sports industry was starting off in Australia. This was mid 2015 with the first company, which was Moneyball. And we knew that we had a couple of models. Um, we pitched an idea to Blue Chili, who was our kind of startup incubator company at the time, and um, managed to get our IP out of the university and took some early investment from Blue Chili to start Fantasy Insider. So um, we basically were building um, player projection models for AFL and NRL. And then later that year, I think we started doing NBA. And um, how far do you want me to go into this story? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can keep going. <laughs> yeah. So that was our—that was the start of our first product, and the and the start of okay, we've got enough money now to pay ourselves a little bit—a really little bit. I should stress a really little bit. And so every little dollar counted for sure. And we kind of did everything ourselves at that point. So you know, just general business management and then, you know, um, user interface design. I all of a sudden was, a, that was my thing. and then, <laughs> <laughs> Had to be. Yeah, yeah, new thing that I picked up and I was super involved still in building the models and the different kind of weightings and indexes you give to um stadium or the importance of a player having only played this many games before or that kind of thing. So I was still very much involved in that. And then all of the kind of runnings of the social media and the advertising, the marketing, the um, investor side, and um, so many other elements that don't spring to mind right now, but just uh, go with that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ran Fantasy Insider and it was the leading, it still is the leading daily fantasy sports platform in Australia for tools and information the um, industry was expected to be huge and that's how we raised money originally was you know it has it's a two billion dollar industry well bigger than that but the two companies at the time in America DraftKings and FanDuel were the biggest were worth a billion dollars each and coming to Australia this is going to be huge everyone get on board there were a couple of you know, big platforms starting. And so we were in a really good position at that point. The industry just didn't do as all people expected at that point. So I'm sure we'll talk about failure at some (laughs) point. (laughs) Um, And I wouldn't call it a failure because it led to where we are now, but we had to look at different avenues and when looking basically inward at ourselves and going, we've got to raise our next set of capital that's going to set us up that will give us enough money to have employees and we know what we're doing is good. So um, basically we build player level models to predict how many points each player is going to score in an actual game um, and in stats insider, the idea is that if you can build a player model, then you can build a team model. So that team is obviously going to beat that team um, in order for that player to get that many points. So um, we're building those things anyway, and there's an obvious appetite for sports predictions in the world. In Australia, it's really just starting right now. A couple of years ago when I was talking about it, there'd be like, you know, one in a hundred people would know what I was talking about. These days, it's more like one in 50 people know what I'm talking about. But um, in uh, Major League Baseball in America, they've been doing it for 20 years. Um, predictions are really common and it, it provides a deeper level of analysis for a more engaged fan experience. Um, that's the point of it, <laughs> if you're wondering what predictions do. Um, and so we raised some capital um, based on this concept of Stats Insider, which is uh, predictions for several sports, content, um, you know, project- projected ladder leaderboard things, um, many different kind of other elements that we were going to add to that for a a deep kind of user experience like personalized emails and, and that kind of thing. Within two months though of raising our capital we signed our first deal with a wagering partner and so we kind of tripled our initial investment within two months and then so our valuation has obviously jumped since then we were able to hire the people that we needed to hire to make the vision come true and that's coming up on two years ago now that that happened so yeah it's changed a lot since since that first fantasy insider thing to now
0: (laughs) (laughs) it always does (laughs) No, I, I I love it. Katie, I think it's so cool to hear and to see. And I think the most interesting – what I find really interesting about you is the fact that you just dove headfirst into – I feel like you just dove headfirst into this. You know, the fact that in the early days, I think you mentioned you were everything. You know, it's, it, The marketing head, the – backend, analytics, either every type of person in the business. It was just the two of you didn't have employees. How do you manage that? How do you mentally kind of get around that, get through that? And then also how do you practically kind of manage your time around that?
1: I didn't, <laughs> yeah. um, is the short answer. I just worked a lot and I said no to um, everything. I said no to a lot of family events, a lot of friend events, I still enjoyed my life and had a great time and would do it again. Um, But I'm only still learning how to do that. And just when you think that you have got something automated or under control or someone else working on that segment, there's a new thing that is, you know, a new customer relationship thing that you never knew about, or there's a new HR situation that you've not had to deal with before. Um, So increasingly I'm trying to focus that time and I went on holiday this year already. Um, I went on a holiday last year. Mm. That was my first one for many (laughs) years. So that's, um, it took a long time to get to the point where I could go, okay, I'm going to switch off. And, um, and the, the fact of the matter is that you can't, you can't switch off when you're running your own business. You know, everything that is in the back of your mind, it's really just how you manage that in your mind and whether that is something that is crippling or, um, or whether it's something that you all of a sudden go, okay, I'm just going to get a bigger plate and and get a bigger plate, I have done. And then some days you wake up and your plate is small again and you're like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> i worked on this. <laughs> yeah, i worked so hard <laughs> to get that plate, nice big size. <laughs> um, and not every day is like a perfect mm. picture. But, yeah, you're working on getting a bigger plate. This table I'm sitting at right now looks about the right size and I think all my stuff would fit on here right now. And today I'm fine, you know, so... Um, it's just been a work in progress and I think other people are doing that no matter how much stuff you've got on your plate. You, You just figure it out. You just find a way. And if you're not figuring it out, then look at what's really taking up your time or what's really taking up your mind space that is stopping great things from happening because you're focused on all the little things on your plate Mm. and not the great, big, beautiful things. I actually had one of my employees say the funniest thing to me today about, he said, we're working on all these beautiful chocolates over here. And then they are just focused on that little boiled candy. (laughs) That one piece of boiled candy that's kind of like in all of our beautiful work. And I always loved it. I was like, I'm getting it printed on the wall. (laughs) That's
0: going everywhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just so true. I think, you know, I think so many of us struggle with it. I Mm. I love how you said it's just a work in progress. You know, I think people could look at someone like you and go, oh, she's the CEO. She's, you're running this amazing company. She has all these employees. Oh, she just must have, yeah, it must just be easy for her. But you know, it's just so not true. And I think deconstructing that kind of vision that we have of people doing great things is just so important. So I guess lending to that, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into the failures. So you mentioned before there was that kind of moment there where it kind of, you thought maybe it would, you know, not go as planned. Talk to us a bit about one of the toughest times you've had in business.
1: This year gone, has been a learning curve of the century. I don't know if someone else had been in my shoes, they would have said the same thing. <laughs> it's been wild, um, ma- mainly because we, we've we shifted our focus a little bit from customer facing. We still love everything customer facing that we're doing. It's actually very hard to make money that way. Um we are loving our business-to-business side and so we've been working really hard on that, growing um, growing all kinds of arms in the world, so having kind of someone in America, someone in the UK, um, someone domestically that can be at all touch points um, and at the start of that process, at the early stages of that process, we had a fantastic-looking, life-changing business transforming looking deal that was very close to coming off and um, we've been working on it probably three months which is sounds long but it's not um, you generally expect to get about five percent of your conversations come off in a deal of this kind of size and um I don't think I pulled that number from nowhere um, and so we had this deal that was looking really good um, and it fell through. Basically, it was a no at a very weird point and um, it was from America so I was waking up kind of at 5 a.m. every morning checking my phone and the feeling that I expected to get at that moment, and this is what I kind of say about how you manage how you manage it and how you're like training yourself to manage all of the different bits and pieces. At that time, I was in a great space. I was going, we've got, you know, 15 other conversations going on. The fact that this has come off means that something else is means is going to happen for us. For some reason in that moment, maybe it had been a, um, conditioning of downs and, you know, nose or different things that had happened over several years. Maybe it was the experience or maybe it was just a great day for me, but I just woke up and was like, okay, bad news. (laughs) Um, there's three other people who are heavily also invested in this right now. I can message them and say, bad news, but here, and this is a story of failure, but it is a story of um, not being so downtrodden by failure does not mean you are a failure, does not mean failure is your friend. It means, um, failed this time next. And that, um, that was a huge transformative way of looking at a situation for me at that point. Failure can feel, feel really crap and you, um, struggle through it and no one knows what you're going through in this situation we pushed through it very easily. Can still look back on it, still talking about it right now, obviously. Still can look back on it and go, oh, that was a shame. (laughs) We'd be in a different position right now if that had happened. But what other great things have happened since then? And um, it just means that you need to work a little bit harder and something that seemed easy wasn't so easy and it's going and, and when when has it ever been easy so that's kind of the viewpoint that i had on that
0: how can we be better at dealing with failure did you know that was coming <laughs> she's <laughs> laughing at me right now
1: <laughs> um i don't know i think that you can only you can actually i do know don't be afraid to start it because you're going to fail. It's easily my biggest downfall. I'm sure my family would say, you know, afraid to do a cartwheel because you might screw it up. Um, that's the ultimate thing. And you might've noticed like people in this kind of age group, we're generally at a point, and I might just go down the women path right now. Um, uh, basically at the point where we are, being asked about children. And this is our money-making time. So there's a lot of us who are sitting there going, I've worked really hard um, on my career right now. I've got all of the skills and probably the ability to open my own thing or start my own thing or take that next step. And that's a lot of work, right? You've worked already for 10 years. Um, Maybe you kind of think, If it fails and I put another five years into that and it fails, where am I? Where am I then? And I could have been making money in that time, yet I was poor (laughs) for five years because I'm trying to start my own thing. I hope that I'm making sense and connecting the dots, but um, so many people around me right now are in that conundrum and I get it because starting my own thing right now, knowing what I know, it's scary for sure, but life is long you shall fail <laughs> that is the that is the fact of the matter right like you sh- you shall you should everything you will but um hopefully you fail in a little part and then just learn from them and keep going and just to not 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 do something because of that inevitability because yeah it might happen might not happen if it does happen everyone learns from it right that's what they'll say so that's <laughs> what we're all <laughs> oh, yeah. learning <laughs> yeah we're all learning all that jazz but yes yeah you should you should still have a good plan <laughs> <laughs> but so that, you know, to to avert, to try to, you know, not fail, but, but go in thinking I'm going to do good. And if I fail, whatever.
0: No, I love it. <laughs> and I think it's just so true. And I just think that like, you just hit the nail on the head when you were talking about like, especially as women, I think it just does change how people look at it. And it almost, it's like there obviously is an understanding there as to why that would be the viewpoint, but it's also just like exactly what you said. Life is long. We have time. If we're still in our 20s and 30s, like we've got, we, we can do it, mm. you know. Um, no, I love it.
1: <laughs> yes. Isn't it inspirational <laughs> to see people who have had that success later on in life? Yeah. That can still happen. You still don't know what's coming. So do what, watch Little Women last night. <laughs> yes. Do the next right thing do the next right thing. It's my favourite new thing. Just only do what you feel is the next right thing and then whatever from there on in. Mm. It's so (laughs) true.
0: So talk to us a little bit about the progression. So you had those early tough years. How long did that kind of period go for? And then when was that tipping point of like, okay, now we can bring on board an employee and now we've got one and two and three and and we're kind of shifting and
1: talk to us about that
0: progression of the company.
1: Um, so we are talking about like a six to seven year span, Mm. which I'm not going to bore you on, but basically the first four years struggle street. Mm. And then, um, yeah, you know, just being really, really, really careful with our money, with what we paid ourselves. Basically we'd, if we'd run out of money, we would reinvest, we would, um, give our time, Mm-hmm. um also give our money back in for extra investment so an extra equity kind of thing that's something that we did for a little while just to tide us over or we'd pay ourselves like a thousand dollars for the month or whatever just to get by um so there was that and and then the obvious decline in or plateauing of numbers so your numbers are looking flat you're having board meeting after board meeting where things are not necessarily looking any better you've got investors who are wondering what what's up, what's next. And so then you embark on the journey of investment Mm -hmm. world, which is uh, totally different to running a business. It's all about kind of selling yourself and there's a lot of materials, there's a lot of due diligence and all of that kind of thing. So um, we embarked on a six-month journey of raising capital, I would say it was probably closer to nine months, um, but six months from our first yes to a sign. Um, and we managed to get, you know, enough investors on board in that time. So I was, um, I was actually on the Sunshine Coast at that time and I flew to Melbourne. I went, okay, we're about this close to a sign. You can't see my hand, but Hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's small. So we're about this close to a sign. Um, I came to Melbourne, I knew that we wanted to set up here. It's a sports central, it's where I'd been living for the last few years, and I had convinced Daryl to move down here too. So I, I had a week, I went, we've got to hire a developer, we've got to get an office, and I've got to get a house. <laughs> and so all <laughs> oh, in one <my laughs> week. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to, you know, 50 office inspections and met with a bunch of different developers, ticked all three boxes, and then I th- came, went back home and two weeks later we moved to Melbourne. Just after Christmas, and moved into the office with no desks or anything, and it was just the three of us sitting in the office space. Um, from then on, obviously, we we were able to get a little bit of revenue, so not just living off our cash flow from investment, but we had revenue at that point, which allows you to look forward into your organisational structure. Who are you gonna? Who are we? Who is going to be the next person that is going to help? um, take things forward. You're hiring multidimensional people generally who are able to do a few different things. Um, and, and we've added basically, I think the first five people within three months. And then from then on, um, kind of added people as we needed them or as we came across the right person. And we're at about 11 full time at the moment. It's amazing. Well, a question I've got for you is that you dove straight
0: into this world of business and running a company and all of that. You know, I think in some ways, maybe the way that you see life and how you do business and whatnot may be slightly different to someone who's currently in a corporate career and kind of navigating that and maybe thinking about diving into business. What do you think are some of the key things you've learned about the way you think as a business owner, I think it's almost polar opposite to being an employee or to, to, you know, working at a company. Talk to us about that. Give us some insight.
1: I'm actually working on this in myself at the moment. So the way that I used to think was, let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Like, that's a great (laughs) idea. Let's do it. And I've drifted away from that in the complications of more people's opinions and perspectives and everything, not drifted away, but definitely want to make sure that I'm not gung-ho, I'm right, and making sure I'm taking everyone else's input on board and doing what is right for the company given more minds are better. But I'm coming full circle and going, we get so hung up sometimes on the decisions, if we just did it and see how it goes that has worked for us in the past and in corporate and in a lot of like major companies that I've had the pleasure of spending time in or, um, or spoken to people who work in more corporate companies, there's just a lot of, um, policy that you could go through, or hmm. you could be the the girl or the guy who just goes, I'm going to get it done. And you can push through. If you've got enough kind of cred in your company, you can, push through the different obstacles and doors and, and make something happen. And that's going to be more fulfilling Mm -hmm. to you to see something that you came up with and you ideated and executed, and then it had a result of some kind. So the difference between that and what I'm doing are kind of blending. And I really want to make sure that, yeah, I'm keeping, keeping fresh on the idea and not worrying about every ramification every possibility, the longer that you're in it, the more you see the problems. And I don't want to be the kind of person who is seeing the problems. You want to see a bright future ahead in this decision that you're making. And you become a bit stiff (laughs) in decision-making because, oh, you've tried the last thing you tried didn't work or um, you spent too long deciding whether you're going to do it. And then your opportunities missed or you're busy. that (laughs) too (laughs) there's that like you could be busy and then you kind of miss that opportunity so like the the focus has to be on shedding the hard candy to create your beautiful chocolate and and making sure that it is effort versus reward
0: bingo effort versus reward yes I could not agree I just honestly couldn't agree more oh look katie we've gone deep today we've talked about <laughs> a, a lot of things and as we come to the close of today's episode i just want to take a moment to acknowledge you you know as you said it's been 6 7 years um since starting starting the company and it's grown to tremendous heights you're the leading um at sports analytics Platform, or you've got two leading platforms. You yourself have gone on to one to win the 2016 Ant Hill's 30 Under 30 Award, and just gained so much recognition and respect in your industry. And I think it's just so. Valuable to see, and incredible to see someone that is so grounded and just, you know, just aligned with what she's doing. And it almost shows us that we can find that thing and and navigate ourselves through this crazy world of of whatever we're going through, and eventually somehow get out the other end unscathed. <laughs> <laughs> so we really appreciate you for that
1: oh I'm super glad to talk about it I love to talk about it obviously and I don't just love to talk the business definitely and the process and my experience in it but um yeah having a kind of an outlet or something to listen to that says that you're not crazy or that um and and that there's you don't have to have some kind of superhuman power or strength there's nothing that I know that you don't know their person listening um, that that would stop you from doing exactly what I've done. You probably do it just as well, if not better. So um, there is no kind of secret weapon or source, I don't think, that makes you the person that is able to handle this. It's really just whether you uh, think that you can handle it. Bingo. Um, and I appreciate you having me on. I really, really do. It's fantastic. And it's good to chat about this stuff because, yeah um, – you know, there's a lot of people that you talk to just out every day who are confused Mm -hmm. about what I am talking about and who I am, especially, I don't necessarily look like this is my job (laughs) or I don't sound like this is my job off the bat. So, Mm. um, it's nice to be able to talk about that in a, um, in this kind of, yeah, relaxed situation, I Mm. suppose. (laughs)
0: Oh, I love it. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I've had an absolute ball. Um, Amazing. So look, our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peer to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: It is happiness. There is absolutely nothing that we're searching for that is the that is different to happiness that's what we are going for to be happy with yourself and to be proud of what you are doing and reach a point of contentedness and general stokeness with your life there is priceless value in your own well-being and your own happiness in that and if being an entrepreneur or running your own business is what leads you to that happiness then by all means do it.
0: I love it Katie ladies and gentlemen thank you so much.
1: Thank you oh, Michelle. Had a blast. <laughs> Yay. So where
0: can, where can people learn more about you and Hypometer?
1: Um so you can look us up at hypometer.com it's pronounced, it looks like it's pronounced hypometer, something I came up with when I was very young. We have a little symbol that looks like a Pac-Man eating a Wi-Fi symbol, also (laughs) done on paint many years ago. Um, And you can find out more about us by just typing it into Google or probably Stats Insider. And if you're a sports fan or if you know a sports fan, then Stats Insider is a pretty cool place to be. I think Um, we've got bulk information and i'm also really happy for people to reach out to me personally um and you know if you go through the podcast i can give you my details and happy to talk um meet up anything like that because yeah i really just think that um just think that i could maybe be helpful and and if i can then that's awesome amazing
0: oh i love it thanks so much again katie and for everyone else listening we will end with that Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with... Passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.